Good morning, church. It is so wonderful to be with us this morning. And, you know, I'm sure most of us have heard about something good happening in Tennessee, Kentucky, in Ashbury College, where God is doing a mighty work. He's moving. He's, the service has been ongoing for a whole week. No sleep, no nothing. Well, sleep for some, but they rotate. And it's inflaming the hearts of many young people to love God forever. Now, who here wants that? Do you want to see God move in this church, in your heart? Amen, right? That's a yes, sir. That's a yes, sir. But you know one thing? Does saying yes, I want to go to McDonald's, make you a customer? No, right? What, what makes you a customer at McDonald's? What makes you a customer? Do you know? Is it walking in through the door? Is it sitting down on the chair? Or is it biting in that Big Mac? Right? You're only a customer when you buy in. And although we say yes, God also knows talk is cheap. And He doesn't want our lip service. And so, to start us off today, God says in Exodus 19, verses 5 to 6, Now therefore, if you will obey, indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment. Let's read this part together. Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Last week, Reverend Christo asked about saying yes, yes. The children of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai said, yes, we will do as you say. And they were special the blood and they, became, they came into the covenant. The week before that, Reverend Joel told us about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And that was their yes to God. Yes, we don't want to be under Pharaoh. Now we want to be under God. But yes is not everything. In Ashbury, they said yes and God is moving in them. But you know what? They've also given up their homes, their time, their jobs, their classes. They've given up everything to attend to God. And that is why God is not, God is not just making a flash in the pen for them, but it's ongoing. The Spirit of God is there tangible, like something in their mouth. And if we want that, if we want that, our yes must not only be lip service, but it must be followed by obedience to the Lord. And obedience to what? The Lord has given us His covenant, yes, but His covenant has laws. And God is asking that if we want the Spirit of God in our midst, the Spirit of God to move us in our lives, we must be obedient and keep whatever He has given us, keep His commandments. But commands, commands not only show us that we are ruled by God, that's great, but it sounds like contractual obligation. And it's, it's very difficult for us to bring ourselves to want to follow that. But you know what I want to tell us today? The laws of God are not just contractual obligations. When I was younger, in my house, there was this fish tank. Uh, this fish tank, like all fish tanks, had this air pump, and the air pump was connected to the wall socket. And my dad had a couple of rules for this fish tank. First of all, feed the fish. Then, quickly followed by, don't feed the fish too much. The fish will die. Don't put your hand in the water. Don't grab the fish. The fish will die. 
Don't dirty the water. Why? That's right. The fish will die. Correct. See, you're getting, the, you're getting it. Huh? Over the couple of years, however, the wiring of the pump to the wall started to wear out. And that, that wiring started to be exposed. So this fish tank had one more rule that no other fish tanks usually have. And that was, don't touch the wire. Right? So can you guess what I did? I touched the wire. In fact, I grabbed it. One bit like Bruce Lee. I grabbed it. And that day, I learned something. I learned, wow, my father really loved me. And that's what I'm trying to say. Laws are much more than obligations. They show us the heart of God. Right? In this case, it showed me the heart of my father. And when God gives us his laws, it's the same thing. He wants to show us through his laws that he is a good God. We sang just now. And that his kindness brings us to repentance. Yeah, so, of course, this is not just unique to God and not just unique to my father. It's unique in every nation on earth. Take, for example, Israel. Israel has this thing called the Sabbath law. And on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to walk beyond a certain amount of uh, certain distance and you're not allowed to do any work. So, if like in Singapore, you live on the 40th floor in Israel, what happens when you want to go down is that you wait outside the lift, you don't press the lift, uh, the lift will open, you step inside, and then 40, it stops on every floor. 39, 38, people come in, go out, 37, 36, all the way to 1. So if you live on the 40th floor in Israel on Sabbath, don't leave your house. Because when you reach the bottom, it's time to go back up. <laughs> right, day over. But in Singapore, we are also the same way. In Singapore, we say, what's our resource? What's our natural resource? We only got one. People. This one, social studies will teach you. People are a resource. And we take people very seriously. In fact, that's why protecting children in Singapore is our, one of our number one priorities. So, if someone kidnaps a child in Singapore, they are liable for the death penalty. This is also, funny enough, it's in Deuteronomy, uh. You're liable for death penalty. Why? Because keeping children safe in Singapore is a number one priority for us. This shows us what's important to the society. And once again, God's laws show us what is important to God and it shows us the shape of His heart. So what do these laws say? They say a lot of things, first of all. Uh, By the way, these are not the individual laws. These are the categories Praise God, right? We have all these categories, so we don't need to see the individual laws. Now let us go through the categories like really quickly. Not all. This is up to Leviticus only. Uh. Uh, there's still Numbers and Deuteronomy and a bit of Joshua. But I think this is enough to show us that, uh, to start us off, right? So let's start on the categories, right? Um, first, it starts off, of course, with the Ten Commandments. Then we go into ceremonial laws, moral laws, Sabbath laws, laws regarding feasts, outer laws, slave law, laws regarding violence, Sabbath laws, ritual laws, offering laws, priestly laws, moral laws, judge laws. Which was the second law, I say? Don't know, right? Forget it. Right? Oh my goodness. Right, how are you going to keep the law? I can't remember the second one. But praise the Lord. Jesus summarized it for us in these two laws. Love God and love your neighbour. There's a both there because there are some special laws in 
uh, all the laws that actually fall within the two. That means if you offend this law, you have to pay back your neighbour and you have to pay God. One of them is this interesting um, lying law. So if you lie to your neighbour and cause them if, and cause them to lose money or you con them out of something, you must pay them back 1.5 times. But after that, that's not all. You must go and pay God back because you cheated your neighbour. So you offend both. That means you, you must pay back both. And this is essentially the shape of God's heart for the covenant. Love God and love your neighbour. Then you might say, yeah, but you know, why didn't he say that in the first place? Just say two things. Why have so many laws and so many categories? Well, that's because God wants to be in the centre of your whole life. He doesn't just want to be here on Sunday. He doesn't just want to be here there at your prayer meeting. He doesn't just want to be there at your cell group. He wants to be in every part of your life. And that's why the whole law of God is designed to cover every single little thing, from how you talk to your children, from how you love your parents, from what you eat, to what you do when you stand up, to what you do in the field, to what you do to your animals, everything. You know why? It's not because God is a control freak, one to control every little bit of you. No, God wants to be in your life. He wants to be remembered by you. You know, after all my work is done, after I finally pangkang and go home, you know what's actually, every Sunday, you know what's the first thing that comes to my mind? When do I pick up Joey? Joey's my wife, right? Because she's going to be very tired. She's, she's going to be totally exhausted. And I want to be there to pick her up, to make her feel refreshed, to love on her, and maybe also to find lunch with her because by the time we're hungry already. That's my thought. You know why I think of her straight away? Because I love her. And God wants to be that person. He wants to be that guy, that, that person you think about. When everything, sure, work takes up, work invariably takes up our mental space. And this is what A.W. Tozer also recognised. Yes, things take up our time. Things take up our thoughts. But the love, what? Our love for God should be like this compass that once those things are done, whoop, we turn straight away back to God. And God wants that. Wants to be that true north in your life. He wants your love. And of course, He loves you back. And this is why God in the centre of everything, the heart of His covenant comprises two things. Love for God above all and love your neighbour as yourself. So let's look at the passages that specifically talk about these two things. The first is from is the great Shema. This is from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 6. And let's read this together because it's supposed to be read together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your, our God, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. So, what does it mean to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength? Some of us think, oh, that sounds like the same, <laughs> right? Same, same, but different. No. In Hebrew, heart, soul, and strength, they, they actually refer to different things. In Hebrew, the word for heart is lev. And here in the command is v'kol lev, uh, levavka, which is with all your heart. 
And in Hebrew, the understanding of the heart is the comprehending mind, the very will to do something. You know, when I go to gym, I have to will myself to go to gym. <laughs> when I put the weight on the, tape, on the machine, I have to will myself to do it. Every ounce, okay? And that is what it means. The comprehending mind, every way you can know how to love God, you do that. And every ounce of will that you can put into that, you do that. You know, you push the weight down like that, right? That's what God wants. Love with all your heart. Vakol lavavka. The second one is ukol nefeshka. Okay, sorry, I, I keep saying like Hebrew. I, I apologize if y'all don't like that. That's soul. And what is the soul? In the Hebrew definition of soul, it is the seat of all your passion, the seat of all your desires. That means everything that you want to do. You know, I think the best way for me to tell this tell, is for me to tell you what happened last week. Because it's actually very difficult to do this. Because our desires are often askew. Last week, I had no pants. And you might be thinking, huh? I saw you last week. Pastor Andrew, you had pants. Well, I didn't have pants in the morning. What happened? Let me tell you what happened. Last week, um, during the week, my, my wife wanted to send our laundry to get ironed at my mom's house. And so she asked me, Andrew, do you want to send your pants to mom's house? And I said, no. I need my pants for Sunday. That's right, otherwise got no pants, right? So I said, please don't put it in the bag. I woke up Sunday, I was like, yes, I'm ordered this whole day, I know what I'm going to do. I put on my shirt, I put on my undershirt, I put on my shirt, I walk, it's time to put on the pants. Where are the pants? Where are the pants? Search, where are the pants? Where are the pants? Because I'm getting late, I have to make coffee. Where are the pants? Say, besters, this is what I call my wife. She's the best of the best. Where are my pants? And she said, Oh, I put your pants in the laundry bag. We should send to mom's house. Then I was like, I have no pants. That's why I say, I have no pants. And that means that now, right, I have to rush back home. Don't know whether I'll be on time for church. Rush back home, wear my pants, rush Joey to work, rush back home, drive like Michael Schumacher, F1, or now it's Hamilton. Like, how? Right? And I was very, 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 very angry. Have you been so angry that you feel like you close your eyes, huh? your eyeball just burst out of your head? Right? I was that angry. I was that angry at my wife. And I was, in my mind, right, there was like 50 sentences come up. Why you put my pants in the laundry basket? How come your ears not working? How come, did I speak in English? Do you understand it? All these things keep scrolling, you know, and it's the anger in my heart keep building and building. But you know that, so first of all, I love my wife. And I know at that point, right, if you've got 50 sentences, you say zero. Secondly, she was preaching that day. And I know her whole mind was on the people of God. So if I scold her, then I don't know what God will do to me. 
but I love her, you see. And so I started to wrestle with this anger. And why wow, it was like, it's like Hydra, you know, chop off one hit, uh. ten hit come up. Wow, why wow, chop, 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 chop. And I was, I was just silent. And I, I said this prayer, God, make speed to save me. Lord, make haste to help me. I keep saying that over and over again because I keep fighting it. You know, but the, the worst part is that I had no power to get rid of this anger. Every time I thought I killed it, right, suddenly, oh, I come up again. It's like wrestling against this demon of anger. It's wrestling and wrestling. And it was only when I was worshipping God. Last Sunday morning, God set me free. And tears came down because He had released me from this anger. I had no power of myself to love God with a coal and a fresh car with all my soul. And sometimes that's, that's what God wants from us. To triumph over the evil in, desires in our heart and to love Him. And of course, the last one is So the interesting thing here is that mi'od is not the word for strength in Hebrew. The word for strength is another word, I think it's chazak, right? What is mi'od? Mi'od is translated with great force or with abundance or everything you have or muchness, right? What is muchness? Muchness means with your whole life with all your abundance, all your resources, everything God has given you, with all your strength. So, the first commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with everything you have. That is the first half of the heart of the covenant. That is the second half. And for the second half, we'll look at Leviticus 19, verse 18. And let's read this together. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. So essentially, the second half of the covenant is this, is this thing. Two no's and one yes. No to taking revenge. And this one, most of us in civil society, we are okay with, right? If someone harm us, we don't straight away go and harm them back. That one then become police case. So we know this to be true. And here especially, we try our best never to bow to, as it were. But the second no is do not bear a grudge against the children of your people. You know, this is why in Kus we have our family credo. In our family credo, there's this what the I in family stands for, ignore offences. Yes, I see some of us remember this sweeping action is very good. That means we sweep it off. Right? We don't treat it as nothing. But a lot of us, actually, we do the opposite. Instead of doing this, we do this. Whoa. Three, four, five big watermelon. We all, we keep sweeping it into our heart. We keep holding the offences against our brothers and our sisters. Often it's because we are right. So we are right to hold those offences. But do you know what? God doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want you to harbour all that, all that anger, all that unforgiveness in your heart. Do you know why? Because God actually cares about you. He created you, created your heart, and He knows how poisonous unforgiveness is. 
and he would that you would let it go, right? And it's really quite amazing if we just think about it for a short while. The God of all creation, who created mountains that make you look like an end, who created this whole world, this whole cosmos, He interested in your heart, how you feel. The, the, the unforgiveness in your heart, he, He's interested that you let it go. And that's why we can say with confidence, our God is love. Because He really is. The God of the whole cosmos is concerned with you and your emotional turmoil and your grief and your grudges. And of course, the last one is love your neighbour as yourself. Right? That is the full heart of God's covenant. Love God above all and love your neighbour as yourself. And of course, it was Jesus who surmised it in Matthew. He said, He said, Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so what does the heart of the covenant give us? The heart of the covenant gives us the kingdom blueprint. It tells us what the society of Jesus is supposed to look like. It tells us what the church is supposed to be and who we are supposed to be in this world. And it can be summarized in these four points. First, that we are community that has God in the center of all our lives. Second, that God has established boundaries of right and wrong. That we are not to, we are not to hold grudges, we are not to take revenge, but we are to Love our neighbour as ourselves, And we are to be a community where everyone looks out for one another and even a community that loves those that are not inside, that are at the margins. Because this is what God says in Deuteronomy 30, for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. Let's say this together. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea, that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that we, it, that we, may, do, that we may do it, that you may do it. You know, God's heart of the covenant is not for us to experience when we get to heaven. God's heart of the covenant is meant for us to practice. Practice right now when we love God in everything we do. When we love our neighbour as ourselves. Do you know what happens in that moment? The kingdom of God is suddenly amongst us. When we love God, when we love God in, in our work, at home, when we love our neighbour, even when they harm us, what happens at that moment? The kingdom of God is suddenly near you. And these were the words that Jesus said. He did not say them in vain because when he said them, he meant for us to hear them, hear it and obey it, that the kingdom of God would be here on earth. This is the covenant of God. This is the heart of God's covenant. But do you know who this covenant is for? 
Does it benefit God at the end of the day? Is that God's primary concern? Does He want you to obey His word just because that makes Him feel shook? And the answer is no. God's covenant is for us. And the benefits of that covenant are for us as well. For, by fulfilling the heart of God's covenant, God blesses us with three things. When we, when we do the covenant, it fulfills God's love for us, in us. When we do the covenant, God blesses us with His good. And when we do the covenant, the whole world is changed, not by our strength, but by the love of God. So let's look at the first thing. How does doing God's covenant fulfill His love in us and for us? Well, this we get in Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 to 8 and 11. The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all people. And this part, let's say together, but because the Lord loves you, therefore you shall keep the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. You know, we have, there's this member in our church and what, what uh, they do, their whole, the whole day uh, and all the days of the week is that they spend their time going to the homes of the elderly and the immobile. You know, being elderly and immobile in Singapore, and, and okay, elderly, immobile, and poor. Being elderly, immobile, and poor in Singapore is actually a very difficult thing. First of all, you live in a flat most of the time when you are poor. How do you come down the lift if you're immobile? How do you step out of your house without someone's help? So most of the time you're spent stuck at home with not enough to eat, with maybe uh, no, no good clean water, just TV. And you're just stuck there the whole day, every day. It is a lonely, brutish, and very harsh life. But this is not the life God wants for us. And so this member in our church, she knows this. And so what does she do? She spends her day in, day out visiting them. She goes to their house, buys them groceries, watch TV with them, talk with them, make sure they smile, share the news of the gospel with them. Why? Because, she, because this member loves God and loves her neighbour. In fact, she doesn't just do this to those, of, to those of these elderly who are our members. She does this to the whole block. Because God said, you shall love the Lord your God and you shall love your neighbour as yourself. As we fulfil this covenant, those people that are lonely, that are poor, that are at the margins, that are forgotten, they experience the love of God. And of course, this member as well experiences the love of God, not from just God above, but from those they minister to. This is how God fulfills His love in us as we fulfil His love to Him. That's the, first, that's the first blessing. The second is very obvious. God blesses us. He blesses us when we fulfil His covenant. And this we can find in Deuteronomy 5, verse 33. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and it may be well with you. Everybody say, well. Well. And that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. So in this verse, there's one word, well here. Right, should God you say it? 
Well, it's translated in Hebrew as tov. Tov, say tov. You know where else tov is used? Tov is, tov is used in Genesis. After God creates all of creation, He says it is tov. That's right, He says it is tov. After He creates man and woman, especially Reverend Chris over there, what did He say? It is very tov. Mi'ot tov. That's what He said. Is exceedingly good. And that's what this well means. That not just what you think is good, you will get, but God's good will fall on you like rivers of living water. You know, uh, a good example of this is, uh, you know what I think is good for me? I think cheeseburgers are good for me. Especially cheeseburgers that got two patty and from one fatter calf. <laughs> This one, I know. I think this is very good for me. But do you know what is really good for me? Kailan. Kailan is very good for me. Okay? Kailan, maybe stir fry. And that's it. That is what I mean. The, lo- the love of God seeks out our good even when we don't think maybe that's very good. God wants His good to fall on you when you do His covenant. This is what He promises. This is God's blessing for us. And of course, the third one is God blesses the world. So even right now, before I talk about it, who wants this covenant? Right? It's very good already, right? But even then, it's not all. God has chosen that as you fulfill your duties to Him and your love for your neighbor, that even in doing that, God has chosen to change the world as you do that. You know, before Christianity exploded on the scene of the world, the world did not know individual human rights. The world did not know women's rights. The world did not know anti-slavery movements. The world didn't even know what is a hospital. Do you know that? There were no hospitals until Christian medical care came along. And let me tell you this story. Okay, first of all, does anybody know this story? Any med students here? Y'all know? Nobody? Now nobody there is hand. Never mind. If you don't know, let me tell you. So, the advent of the hospital actually started, uh, it was all pretty much the same until this year, 249. And this event called the Plague of Cyprian. At the start of COVID, you may have heard this. Pastor Daniel talked about the Plague of Cyprian and how the Christian cares really started from there. Uh, so at this point, right, Christian care consisted of this. The Christian doctors, comprising almost 40% of the whole of uh, Christian, uh, Christian, the, the Christian population at the time, they'll go to each other's house, they'll knock on the door. Then the door open, they'll look in, they'll check up, okay, you don't look like you're dying, and then they'll close that door. And they'll go and knock on the, each and every door until they find a sick person then they will go in, nurse that person, and every day they will nurse that person until they are back to health. Even if it costs them their own life, they will do it. And then they will go and find another person. This is Christian medical care. But what was so special in 249 was that the Romans decided that it was the Christian's fault that this plague had broken out. This plague was smallpox from all the descriptions we know. And because it was the Christian's fault 
They must force the Christians back to worship the Roman gods so that the gods will take the plague from us, from them. And as they did that, they started to persecute the Christians and put them to death because the Christians would not worship their gods. But do you know what the Christians did? They not only continued to serve each other in love, but as the Romans themselves throughout their family members, throughout their wives, their children, their grandmother, because they are sick, threw them naked in the street for them to die in the streets. Do you know who came and collected them? It was the Christians. The Christians would see their pagan citizens out in the street, thrown out by their own families. They'll go out, collect these sick people into their homes and nurse them back to health. This was the beginning of public health care. And then in three, after the year 325, after the Council of Nicaea, it was also declared that in every cathedral town, a hospital be built in the cathedral. Why? For this expressed purpose. For a simple, very simple reason. Because God, because who did Jesus heal? Everybody. Hospitals came from not church liturgy, not any of that. It came from the heart of the covenant. God has changed this world because the saints, our brothers and sisters of the past, have consistently and constantly applied love of God and love of neighbour across time in every context. And this is what God wants to do through you. So, sounds good, right? Who wants, who here thinks that that is an amazing covenant that you want to take part in that? Everyone? Seems alien to us, right? That people may not want to do it. But, do you know who didn't want to do it? God's people did not want to do it. Did the Israelites succeed in fulfilling this heart of the covenant? Well, the short answer is no. Actually, they failed in many turns. In Exodus 32, just 10 chapters, 10 or 11 chapters after the giving of the Ten Commandments, do you know what they did? They worshipped a golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai. After that, when they entered into the land, the promised land that God had given them, in the law it says, you shall not set the king over you for I, Yahweh, am your king. You know what they wanted? They said, Give us a human king. We want to be like all the other kingdoms. Give us a human king. And this, Pastor Chris will talk to us a bit more next week. After that, when they had been thrown out of the land and when God brought them back into the promised land in the days of Nehemiah, what did they do? They took one another as slaves. In the law of God, it says, you shall not take your fellow, your fellow citizen as your slave. They took each other as slaves. And of course, in Jesus' day, they sold God's law for their own personal profit. They started selling offerings in the temple. Where in God's law, it is illegal to sell on temple grounds. You want your offering, you buy outside. This is holy ground, but they perverted it. And of course, at the end of the day, the Israelites rejected the Son of God. These people, they were experts at the law, you know. They, last time, nobody got their own Bible. All up here. 
They memorize the law backwards and forwards, sideways. They can recite to you the Psalms backwards from 150, the last verse, all the way to the first verse. They can do that. But do you know what they became experts in? They also became experts in offending God at every turn. Despite having the law and the prophets and the words of God himself, the people of God were the ones that said, no, I do not want this. And a lot of times, we are like that also. Our hearts, even as we say yes to God, our hearts are far from Him. In fact, our hearts are hoping for the same things that maybe the Israelites hope for. Security, prosperity, love from whoever we want love from. And we make God's law and God's covenant powerless in front of our own carnal heart's desire. In Deuteronomy, God knows this. And that's why He says, Deuteronomy 10, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and His statutes which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. Also the earth with all that is in it, the Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. And let us read this together. He chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as he is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. God is telling us that to fulfill the heart of the covenant, we, his people, need a heart for the covenant. Our hearts need to be transformed to love God above all other things, above what we desire. And God wants to give us this today. So how can we do this? Can we be better than the Israelites before us? Well, it's very difficult. Not everybody here knows Hebrew. Even I don't know Hebrew as well as them. Maybe Pastor Daniel only. But who can do that? None of us. Who can memorize the Word of God front and back, sideways and up and, be, and up and down? No one can, right? And even if you did, it may not profit you anything. But there is one man who fulfilled it all. One man who fulfilled all the law and was himself in the flesh, the heart of the covenant. And his name, as all of you know, is Jesus and although we cannot ourselves overcome our desires of the heart, Jesus can. He says there in John 20, So Jesus said to them, Peace to you. Look to one another and say, Peace to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. God is willing to change our hearts, brothers and sisters. He's willing. He's willing to transform our souls if we but let Him. And I want to tell us a story. There's this man. Uh, his name is Michael Francis. And uh, when he was born, he was born into the mob. Uh, mafia. Uh, the the a black, uh, uh, secret society in our context. And so to enter the, the mafia, you need to, you actually need to do a blood covenant. 
So you go there, they'll prick your finger, make sure the blood drop on the floor, because blood must be spilled, okay? Then you put in your hand the picture of a saint and they set it on fire and say, if you break this, if you break our covenant with you, and it's literally a covenant, the same, we will kill you and you will burn in hell like this sin. It's burning in your hand. Wow. He took it very seriously. And so he was very good at what he did. Very good. And uh, he earned a lot of money until he met this woman, right, um, which is his current wife. This woman, he fell in love with her. But there was a kicker here. She and her mother were extremely devout Christians. They would practice their faith. And this really had impact on his life. Right? He was like, wow, these people really believe it. And so he respected it, but, like, but he didn't buy in. Remember? Saying yes is not enough. Huh? He didn't buy in. He said, ah, that's nice. And so even as he made a lot of money, eventually, like all criminals, they get caught. And he was brought to jail. And uh, there was a whole lot of drama about this. He was squeezed from on top and below. Contracts put out on his life, disowned by his father. He cannot even leave isolation. Because if he leaves isolation, the moment he steps out of the door, he'll get killed. And so the, he, was in, he was thrown into isolation, into this dark room where he's all alone. And the first thing that came to his mind, because he started to love his wife more than his covenant with the mafia. First thing that came to his mind was his wife and his two young children. Right, 27 years old, he said, wow, by the time I leave this place, because as he entered, you know what, the, you know what they said to him? Michael, you will never step one foot outside this jail. And he said, I'm going to lose everything. And then he said, because he believed that there's a God, just not that he was Jesus. He said, Lord, God, if you are real, I need some, I need you to show up right now. And then at that moment when he was saying that, he wasn't even praying, he was just saying that to God. A guard walked by his, his, uh, his cell and the guard peeked into his cell and said, Michael, you don't look good. And of course he thought this guard was just, you know, trying to make fun of him because the guard walked by. Of course this guy's not looking good, right? Hey, you don't look good. And he thought the guy was just making fun of him. So he said, ah, go away. I've got no time for you. I'm already so upset. But moments later, he heard a thump on his cell, cell floor. The guard had gone out, come back, and pushed through a Bible through his door. Sometimes, sometimes the love of God comes from unexpected sources. He came and fell on his floor. And you know what he did? He took up the Bible and he threw it against the wall. Because he said, why you do this to me? Why am I in this state? Right? I'm so angry at you. He was so angry at God and with all of life. And then he laid down on the bed and started to stew in his anger. And it, but as he was stewing his anger, something crossed his mind. It said, in prison, everybody around me is my enemy. I don't need to make one more. I don't need to make God my enemy. So he went up, he took up the book. Uh, and this is like his words. He, he said he was a Catholic so he didn't know how to read his, book, his Bible. He said his Bible read to him, not he read. So he didn't know how to read the Bible. He just opened it, and uh, I think some of us can empathize. It fell to the book of Proverbs, and he started to read. He spent three years in isolation, 24-7. They didn't let him out. 
because the moment he slept out, he get killed. And he studied the Bible. Three years he studied. Of course, he studied the other religions also. By the end of three years, he came out and he said, he held the Bible and said, I believe this is the unchangeable word of God. And I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is my risen Saviour. When asked him, when someone asked him, what do you think brought you to faith? And he said, it was my mother-in-law. Long before he had been thrown in jail, his mother-in-law said, why don't you surrender your life to Jesus? And he said, what does that even mean? I'm a mafia guy. He didn't know what it meant. But alongside that, what she did was she prayed for him every day. Every day she prayed for him. She prayed that Michael would receive the Lord Jesus. And even one day she went up to him and she said, Michael, I have a feeling, and I believe it was God telling her this, I have a feeling that one day, not only will you believe in Christ, but you will stand in front of millions to preach his name. And of course, his wife was, his uh, then, not yet wife, but, wife uh, but now wife was there. And she said, Mom, I'm only hoping that he'll come for Bible study and maybe Sunday service. But the mom replied her, you know, she said, why do you limit the power of God in his life? Why do you limit the power of God in his life? Sometimes we are like Michael. We say, Lord, just help me love you a little bit. And I think I want to ask us this question also. Why do you limit the power of God in your life? God wants to make you great in the kingdom of God. Great in love for God. Great in love for neighbour. All He needs is your yes. All He needs is your obedience. And He, not you, He will do it. And so today, I want to talk to two groups of us here, here, as well as those watching from home. The first group are those of you who do not yet believe. You have not accepted Jesus into your heart. And the first thing I'll say to you is that all these things you've heard today, this is what the community of God, the church, strives to be. We strive to be a community that has God in the centre of our lives. We strive to be a community that does not take revenge, does not bear grudges, but loves each other. We strive to be a community that supports one another no matter what's happening, whether you're poor, whether you're immobile, whether you're elderly, whether you're friendless. We want to be that friend for you. And of course, we strive to be a community that not only looks out for one another, but for everybody, even those that hate us and persecute us. Why? Because we are a community that loves God and loves our neighbour. And if you want to be part of this community, later as I invite us to come forward, I want you to come forward. I want you to accept Jesus in your life because that will open up all of this for you and you will feel the love of God in your heart. There's another group I want to talk to. And this group is for those of us who already believe. We already believe, but we say our prayers are weak, to be very honest. We pray, Lord, help me. 
when we should be saying, Lord, make me like you. We need God to change our hearts. We need God to transform our lives. And if all I've said today, you say, I want that, then before you say yes, I must remind you of two things. First, that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with, all, with everything you have. Whether for gain or for loss, that you make that commitment. Yes, I will do it. But that's not all. There's one more. If the Lord is saying to you, do you want to answer my covenant? And you say yes. You also have to love your family, even those, those of your family that are hard to love. You have to love your friends, even those that betray you. You have to love your colleagues, even those that backstab you. You have to love your boss, even the bad ones. You have to love your clients, even though they cheat you. This is what it means to love God and to love our neighbour. And if, if you want to say yes to that, then later as I invite us to come to the front, I want you to take that step of faith to say, it is me. Lord, transform my heart. I want to live for you. So, just take a short moment right now Make that decision with God. If you want Jesus in your life, or if you want to commit your whole life to God, do it right now. Father, you see the hearts across this congregation. Lord, give them the strength to do all that is in obedience to you. Now, I'm going to ask us to rise. As we sing this song, if God has spoken to you, I want you to come up to the front. The pastors will be up front here to pray for you. Come and make that step of faith. This is my desire to honour you. Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. Lord, with all my 
heard what we have said. And God, we want to give you more than that. We give you our hearts. And Lord, we ask you, help us obey you. Lord, give us such a hunger for you that we would gladly forsake all of these things for the overwhelming excellence of knowing you, Lord Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you give us such a hunger for you, such a hunger to love you, and Lord, to obey you and love our neighbour, so that not only will your love be fulfilled in our midst, but the whole world may be made to know the love of God as well. So Lord, I pray, send us out in your Holy Spirit, transform our hearts, that we will always love you, now and forever. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. God bless you, church. Have a great week. And may the Lord give us a heart for His covenant.